Welcome to the Play Well for Life podcast. Join us as we discuss the lost art of parenting through play and how parents and grandparents can use games to build better relationships with their kids. For more information on how we can help, please visit playwellforlife.com. Hi everyone, great to be here again. So I'm really excited to have Ellie Gibson with me today, games and technology journalist, comedian and mum. So many of you will know her as one half of Scummy Mummies, and I know that at least one of my team is really excited to hear our conversation today. So thank you, Ellie, for your time, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So just to start with, can you tell us how you ended up doing what you do? Hi. Hi. Thanks very much for having me. Um, yeah, I, I, gosh, I mean, I'm 43. So it feels like, it's like saying, can you just quickly summarise War and Peace? How <laughs> did we get here? Um, yeah, well, I, I always liked games as a kid. I grew up playing video games. Uh, I did an English degree at university, which obviously is of no practical use. Um, so uh, and then I applied for a job at, at PlayStation. And that was my first job in games, writing the manuals. And then I became a journalist. So I did that for uh, over a decade. And then I had my kids um, and then I, I um, started doing comedy after I'd had my first son. Um, and then, so then the two worlds sort of collided where I ended up on this TV show on Dave called Dara O'Brien's Go 8-Bit. And I was the games expert on there, but it was a comedy show. Um, and then that ended and then I moved more over into Scummy Mummies, which is this double act I'm in with this uh, Australian called Helen. And uh, so, yeah, so the games went quiet for a bit. But I've recently got back into it over the lockdown and stuff, partly because I'm just playing more video games because, well, there's nothing else to do. Uh, I can't tour my comedy show anymore. And partly because I've, I've been getting loads of questions from parents, uh, mums and dads about games and about their kids and how you manage all that. So, yeah, so now I'm in this weird sort of hybrid world of comedy and video games and parenting. And uh, yeah, it's it's a bit odd, but it's good fun. I like it. I do love how you said uh, you became a comedian after your first child, as though there was an influ- uh, a causal relationship there. Oh, there was absolutely, definitely. Um, there, I had this, I had this baby who was great, but I was like, you know, after about a year, I was like, well, you know, this is nice, but I, I quite miss going to the pub, you know. But you can't just like go to the pub. But I thought if I do a comedy course, that will give me an excuse to be in the pub at a specific time every week. <laughs> And that was how I sort of justified it to my husband, but more importantly to myself, I think, <laughs> you know, it didn't feel like just, if you say, I'm going to leave my baby to go to the pub, that's a different thing to saying to yourself, I'm going to leave my baby to do a course. I'm doing a course. It happens to be in a pub, but I'm learning things. So that's all right. I'm still a good mother. <laughs> that's amazing. So were you funny before and the course just taught you how to do it publicly or did the course? I mean, I don't know if I'm funny now, to be honest, that's very kind of you to say. Um, yes, no, I'd always sort of um, liked being funny when I was little. And then my games career, sort of my journalism career improved when a guy called Pat, who was my boss at the time, said to me, you know, he said, you're writing these reviews and they're fine, but you're trying to write like, well, like men, basically, because I was one of the only women doing it then. You're trying to write like what you think a proper games reviewer sounds like and taking it seriously and but when I talk to you you're funny you're a funny person so just write like you talk to me and I was like oh right yeah you can you can do jokes and then I sort of actually realized I was a much better um I was much better at being funny than I was at critiquing stuff because I do struggle sometimes to take video games very seriously because they're children's toys so yeah don't you know don't 
you've asked me to write a thousand words about the cultural impact of Call of Duty and I will just laugh in your face because I've nothing serious or interesting to say about that video game yeah so it was about embracing that and embracing you know I think like all of us right um as you get a bit older hopefully you sort of embrace who you are and and not only tolerate it but just sort of accept it and 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 realize that that can be an advantage rather than a disadvantage not being like everyone else is not always a disadvantage if you like That's so interesting about actually games are meant to be entertainment and fun and sometimes they are taken very seriously. And I think that's particularly now there's so many games courses where it's like being turned into an academic study. And I I know one of our team actually is struggling with exactly that, that, you know, he just really loves games. And now he's being required to write a 3000 word essay about, you know, some in-depth study of it. (laughs) <laughs> and look people people who are doing that who can do that good for them fair play to them i it's not it's not for me i can't that's not what games are for me but i do understand they're hugely important to a lot of people so you know i'm not I'm not i'm not laughing at those people i'm just <laughs> laughing at the medium uh, the idea that it's some sort of massive you know serious art form so um when you got your first job at playstation were you already playing games then and you wanted to be in the games industry or was it more just oh i've got an english degree where need the writer Oh, yeah, I played games ever since I was little. Um, first at friends' houses, because we didn't have a lot of money. And we did, it was years before we got a games machine. And even then, it was always secondhand. It was always someone else's SNES about two years after they'd been trendy. Or it was an Amstrad CPC 464 that my dad had had to drive to, like, across London to buy from some dodgy geezer in a dodgy flat. It was always a bit like that. So I played them ever since I was little. And then, yeah, at university, uh, I got a PlayStation, an original PlayStation. And that was basically, let's be honest, that's basically what I did for three years, you know. Uh, and I, I shared a house with all these people doing proper degrees in science and that. And like one of them would come home, having been at the library since 9am and go like, oh, so uh, what did you do today? Uh, I had a job interview with Procter & Gamble and, uh, I, you know, I split an atom. What have you done today? And I go, uh, well, I've, I found the key for the uh, the dungeon underneath the temple. And uh, yeah, I've got, a new, I've got Lara a new gun uh that's all I that's all I've done um really so you know so I came up university with these sort of skills that again wouldn't have not really of any practical use uh, I could read a Victorian novel and I could kill a dinosaur in a video game but then I saw so I worked in telly for a little bit as a researcher but then I that ended and then I saw yeah I just saw an advert in the paper because that's how old I am in the Guardian for a copywriter at PlayStation and I didn't even really know what a copywriter was I had to like look it up, uh, which again, those days don't think we even have the internet, I probably went to the library, but, uh, <laughs> and I applied for that and, and miraculously got that job. So that was the start of it really. And I think that's the thing that people don't realise there is such a variety of jobs in the games industry for all sorts of different people and all sorts of skills. And I think it's really important to, that it starts to become taken seriously as a yeah. sort of career option for people. Um, yeah and, and not necessarily journalism as well like I if I had any art or design skills or, or mathematical skills or coding skills you know I'm really glad that those jobs exist as well but but yeah I think as well growing up I read games magazines I read Amstrad Action and official PlayStation things like that but there weren't any women writing in those magazines it was all blokes but I think I was lucky that because my parenting I was brought up with that thing of you can do what you like you can be what you like so I never saw that as an obstacle necessarily but I think that is it continues to be important doesn't it to to model that for kids and yours seems like a real gaming family so I know your dad is a gamer your son's really is it into FIFA so how how do games work in your family and how do they connect you together 
Yeah, my dad definitely, was, again, has always been a gamer. And I think that's growing up, we had like terrible games on his terrible word processor that we used to play together. But we played a lot of board games because, again, we didn't have consoles for a long time. We played a lot of board games. So play was definitely part of our relationship. And still is. We still have board game sessions at Christmas and stuff. And yeah, he's got PS4. And it is really sad, actually, because he's... Um, by his own admission, he's not the world's most professional gamer. And uh, he often gets stuck. And he used to be able to bring me up and go, oh, I'm stuck on The Last of Us. I can't get past these clickers in this bloody sewer. They keep knifing me. And I would go round and I would get him past the hard bit. And of course, I can't, because of lockdown, I can't do that anymore. So that's been a bit sad. But um, yeah, games is something we still talk about and stuff. And so there's that. And then, yeah, with my son's... My youngest son is six and he doesn't give monkeys about video games, just not interested. And my husband also is not really a gamer, not, but I actually think that's quite nice. I think it's quite good to have a balance within the family. And it means that for me and my eldest son, who's nine, it is our special thing. Like mm. it's something we do together and, and separately. So we've been playing a bit of Animal Crossing this morning and he's come around my island. I've given him 24,000 bells because I had a good parent teacher meeting this morning. So he's happy. <laughs> Um, but he plays Fortnite every day with his friends, which again, since the schools have been closed, has been enormous boon for him mm. and for me, because it means I can then do some work and make some dinner without being annoyed. So that's good. <laughs> and I think the social element that's increasingly coming into video games is, is a real game changer, actually, for lots of children and young people. But I know some people are concerned about, is it the same sort of relationship? So I just wonder what you think about, uh, is it the same relationship online? Does it matter? Does it need to well, be? I mean, I I don't know. Maybe it's different. Well, yeah, of course, it's not the same as kicking a football around a park. But then kicking a football around a park with a mate is a different experience to playing Monopoly with a friend or it's different. Yes. And in an ideal world, I'd love him to be able to go and see his friends and sit down together. But but he can't. So it makes me really happy when I hear him Fortnite. All right, whatever. Do you know what I mean? When they're shooting the rubbish out of each other. Okay. It's not, I'm not like, what a golden moment this is. Sometimes I hear him playing Minecraft with his friend and talking about resources and their plans and what they're going to do and how, and working together. And I think this is, this is great. And actually, is this not better than when I was this age in my bedroom uh, with the Amstrad CPC 464 on my own for hours on end, just trying to make a badly animated egg jump over a gap. I mean, <laughs> I think we've moved on and I'm glad about that. Well, and I think like you say, it's the, the interaction, the active interaction, which is different to just sitting watching TV. You know, me and my friends, when I was little, we used to sit and watch TV, you know, more than we did other things necessarily. And actually I think engaging in a sort of collaborative activity like games potentially is better than sitting watching TV. Um, exactly. In the 80s, that's what my parents and our parents, friends, you put a film on, you'd mm. watch a film. And because it was the 80s, often that film would be inappropriate because there was not a wide variety of films. I don't know that I needed to watch the entire Police Academy series when I was nine. There's a lot of jokes I didn't really understand that I watch now and go, mm, glad I didn't understand that joke. So yeah, it's a different time. And I think that's all right. Do you know the one for me? I think it, did you ever see Willow? Yeah, yeah. I remember Willow. watching Willow and also The Colour Purple, both when I was far too young and just being really scared, but being particularly scared by that thing at the beginning of Willow, like the weird pig thing. Oh, I don't remember. I haven't okay. seen it for years. Overridingly <laughs> terrifying memory of, yes, inappropriate 80s films and too much sugar. 
going along with yeah. it. Yeah, I, I should go back. But the thing is, I went through a phase of like, when Charlie was quite little, of like trying to show them these classic 80s movies, thinking, oh, marvellous, Labyrinth, wonderful. Let's watch Labyrinth, wonderful. And like, there's a, a baby is stolen by a goblin in the first 10 minutes. And this child is absolutely terrified. And then there's these creatures that are pulling each other's arms and legs and heads off. And he was just like, what is this? And I was like, I, I don't know, darling, but you don't have to watch it. Like, it's, it's horrific. <laughs> But I remember it was at Who Framed Roger Rabbit and at the oh, end yeah. when, yeah, terrifying. Um, Awful. Awful. <laughs> anyway. But anyway, we'll get on to David Barry and his grey tights and its formative role in my burgeoning sexuality. Let's not go there. Let's just move on. So you mentioned Minecraft and we've just released an educational Minecraft game. And I know you've done an Instagram live um, all about Minecraft. What do you think it's important for parents to know about Minecraft? Um, yeah, well, first of all, that there are, I think the, the, maybe one of the big ones is that there are two modes in Minecraft. So there is the survival mode where you, you know, there are spiders and zombies. And, but even saying that, I think go on YouTube and educate yourself and just look, even if it's just a couple of minutes, see it in action. This is not a violent, gory, frightening game. I mean, it looks like it's made out of CFAX for one thing. So it's only so graphic it's ever going to be. So yes, there is this mode with combat in it, but in this creative mode, um, you can create amazing things. You can create huge replicas of the Palace of Versailles if you want to, but also you can just create a little house for you and your mate to hang out in. And it's basically just like a Lego set. It's just Lego, really. Um, but the world's best Lego set because it's got all these amazing pieces and you can do astonishing things with them. And I think it's something not to be afraid of. And you might even like it. I'm Personally, to be honest with you, I'm not a big fan of Minecraft. I don't really, it doesn't do it for me. Um, but my mate Keza, who I did that Insta Live with, so Keza's the games editor for The Guardian, she uh, adores Minecraft and she, for her and her stepson, it was a really bonding thing because they worked out to play the game together and they built this enormous boat together and it became this project that mm. again was kind of about them and gave them something to talk about and focus on. So it really, I say give it a go and you might actually like it. Or like me, you might be like, do you know what? Nah, not for me, but I'm glad you like it and I understand what it is. And I'm happy for you to sit there and play that for a couple of hours. I think it's made that we've sort of established that anyone over 35 can't see it properly. Like in mm. our team, we're like, whoa, what? How is that a pig? So <laughs> it's and that consequently means we're all really bad at it. Um, and so, so you're traumatized because of the pig in Willow. So you're any sort maybe of that's it. Reason. Yeah. <laughs> but we, you know, the other day we were just testing and one of my team just because one of our rewards is pork chops. And it was like he was throwing loads of pork chops at me which sounds very strange, but it was surprisingly <laughs> enjoyable to like just get all of these pork chops. And I was like, this is so weird how much fun this is. And um, and I think one thing I've learned is even though I'm terrible at Minecraft and I don't really get it, I do, st- I do see why it's fun. And I've noticed it like with my nephews when I say, oh, you know, when the fact I know what the nether is, you know, they're like, oh, hold on. And yeah. they look at me differently and they're like, oh, and it opens up whole new conversations. And I think that's sort of the power of it. That little bit of information can really help have new conversations with kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I know it can be daunting. I'm, I always try and put myself in other people's shoes because I understand that I have grown up with games, both working and, and as a kid. And, and I, I try, I, but I know from talking to parents, it's, it's very easy for me to sit here and go, oh, but video games are brilliant. And we should all just play video games all the time. And just, you know, that's like someone saying to me, oh, but football's amazing. Like, no, it isn't. I can't be doing with it. But I have a concept of what 
football is and how it works. And I think just give yourself a bare minimum level of knowledge, <laughs> really. Yeah. And it's helpful. Well, and I think it's that thing, isn't it? That actually there are lots of things we do with our kids that we don't really enjoy, but we yeah. do them because it's important to them. And maybe gaming is just another of those things that... Sometimes you've got to suck it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't want to go to the damn park. Do you know what I mean? It's rather, oh, stab myself in the eyes and go to the park again. But sometimes you've got to go to the park, haven't you? Because it's, you know, legal requirement, isn't it? <laughs> so particularly at the moment where it's the only place you can yeah, go. exactly. <laughs> So you're doing really great things about promoting the positive impact of games for families. What's important for families to know about gaming? I think I think I'm not going to sit here and pretend that video games are going to make you clever. Or do you remember there was a thing a few years ago? It was all about hand-eye coordination. You oh, know. the brain training ones, or the the fact oh, there was the brain training games, ones. Yeah. yeah, shooter games help your spatial awareness and stuff, and reaction times and stuff. Yeah, I think that's I think that's rubbish. Uh, I think at the other end of the spectrum you've got this idea that games are just a waste of time and they're really bad for you and they'll have a negative impact on you and I think as always the truth is somewhere in the middle I don't think I don't let my children play games for 12 hours a day I don't let them eat ice cream for every meal I don't you know I'd be worried genuinely if he wanted to play football for 12 hours a day I'd be like well unless you actually are David Beckham uh, I don't know (laughs) this is a great idea and, and I, I can see that video games, because of their nature and the way that they're made, they have that in them, right? They're often designed to make you want to do it all day. So you do have to watch that. But I think video games can be managed and also enjoyed. I think you might be surprised how much you do like playing games and you might be surprised how willing your children are to educate you and to explain to you. They love showing you in my experience anyway, in my family, he loves showing me this thing he's done in Minecraft. He even loves showing me this bloody goal he scored in FIFA, which I absolutely couldn't give any monkeys about whatsoever. But he really gets off and explaining to me how things work. And like you say, then that becomes just another thing that you do. And it's, yeah, I think games are not necessarily something to be afraid of, but nor are they necessarily transformative in terms mm. of your child's development. Well, and I think... You know, as a child, you have very, very, very little autonomy and control. And actually, in games, you can have a little bit of autonomy. And if you're playing with a parent who may be a lot worse than you, actually, mm. that's a really great thing because it's one of the f- rare times you get to to lead and show rather than yeah. have to do what you're told. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and games do teach us things. You know, play, we always hear this about, it seems to be an acceptable thing to say about school now, that play is part of learning and especially with little kids, you know, I know at my son's primary school, there's a lot of talk about the first couple of years of just playing really and learning how to play. And games, I mean, is the ultimate medium for, for play, mm. right? And, and it is through play that we learn, um, we learn how to cope with losing. You know, we learn that it's not the end of the world. And with games, cooperative games, we learn how to work together. But also it is important to learn how to compete. And that if you compete at lo- and lose, it doesn't really matter. And also games definitely have that thing of um, if you don't do something the first time you practice and you keep going, you try again and again and again, and you will beat the boss, you know, or whatever it is. And I think those are really useful skills mm. that games help with. the. They, they can't teach kids those. Of course, we still have to parent them and teach them, but they can be good practice for enhancing those skills. And do you think do you think that sort of skill learning around those points, which are loosely called resilience, um, is 
do you think those come instinctively or those need to be sort of taught by a parent, a guardian, a carer, a sibling while someone's playing? I don't know because I'm not I'm not a child psychologist to be honest I'm not quite sure who, how that works I can only say that from my own experience I think you know I do know that all children are different and they also develop at different times so you will have a child who can lose at fortnight and go oh you know that's a shame and you'll have another child the same age with a similar background and you know access to the same resources who will lose and go absolutely bonkers and throw the control at the TV. <laughs> and um, I've talked to the psychotherapist, Philippa Perry, about this, who does know about these things. And she says, you know, kids develop these skills at different rates. So if your child is the angry, shouty, throwy one, it's not that they're never going to get there. It's just that they're developing that skill at a different rate. They might be, their brain might be busy working on something else, like how, how to draw or language or something, and they'll get to that bit. So you just have to be aware of that, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean by, I don't know if it's about teaching kids emotions, but helping them to learn how to manage them, I guess. Yeah, big believer in that. And what are legitimate concerns for parents around gaming and how can these be addressed? Obviously, a lot of gaming is online now. And of course, there's issues around online safety. And I totally understand that can be really frightening. The idea that your child is talking to people on the internet who potentially you've never met. And um, with that, I would say all the consoles have parental controls that you can set so you can limit so they can only talk to their friends or stuff like that. And again, that can be quite frightening. But all of the machines have apps. You can download a Nintendo Switch app or a PlayStation app or an Xbox app from the store. And you just set the controls using that. So it's like using Facebook. It's like you would set your privacy settings on Instagram. If you can do that, you can manage this. And then you can also do things like we have a rule in our house where the games machine is downstairs and it's where I can hear it. So we don't have machines in bedrooms because I want to hear what my son is saying. He can have headphones on, but I need to kind of, I can gauge who he's talking to. And he's just aware that, you know, so stuff like that, you've got to work out what works for your family I guess so there's that concern there is a concern about how much time our kids spend on these machines and again I I understand that and managing limits can be a battle it's 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 an ongoing conversation in this house how much screen time we're allowed not just for games but for telly and all of that so you know but again I think setting boundaries and agreeing boundaries with your child that they find acceptable can be really helpful there and then there are there are some quite there can be some quite scary issues about things like loot boxes. So a lot of games now are free to play, but then you can buy content. So you can buy extra outfits or hats or swords or whatever. And then we have these things called loot boxes, which are like random things. So for example, in FIFA, you can buy football cards, virtual football cards in the game, and you don't know what you're getting. So you might get a really good one, but you might have to open 20, 30 packets of these virtual cards to get that. And you've spent a lot of money. And that's that's a whole issue, which I think the industry really, really needs to address. And I think they I think they will go eventually because I think these companies are realizing that we're not going to tolerate that sort of thing. But until they have been grown up about it and dealt with it, we have to deal with that and manage that. And again, you have to set your own rules in your own house. Our rule in this house is we ask permission before we buy anything online. And sometimes the answer is no. If it's a random loot box, the answer is just we just don't do them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I think that's really helpful practical advice because I think, yeah, parents can feel like 
oh, I don't know how to change settings. So make it, you know, actually it's just the same as privacy settings on Facebook, I think is really helpful. I think, yeah, that consideration about talking to people online. And I think it's a really important to explain what a loot box is and that it's very similar to, you know, like card packs you buy in the physical world, except for, you know, there's sort of no limit on it in the virtual world. And do you think the industry will self-regulate or do you think it's only going to come as a result of regulation? I'm, I'm optimistic that the industry might, um, not because they are all great people who have a very strong moral compass, uh, but because <laughs> the, <laughs> the games, <laughs> yeah, unbelievably, games companies are businesses, right? They're businesses. So their goal is to make money. They're not really, n- not all of them, but most of them and the big ones aren't doing this out of the goodness of their hearts because they are some sort of Santa Claus figure who just wants children to be delighted. <laughs> Let's be honest. So that's how we've come to this place where we have loot boxes. Loot boxes make a lot of money. But one thing the games industry is over time eventually good at is recognizing when it's sort of pooing on its own doorstep as it were and um recognizing what parents because especially parents are the people with the money buying the things for the most part what people will put up with which is why the games industry is quite good at age ratings and complying with the age ratings board and and not fighting certifications and putting the numbers on the boxes it's why these parental controls actually exist and why they are quite easy to access games companies don't want parents to be frightened of games because they want parents to spend their money on games Mm. so they want parents to be engaged and see games as a positive thing and I think now that parents are waking up to and and carers of course now that we're waking up to what these loot boxes are and and that you know I I think the industry will row back Um, I think Epic Games have already with Fortnite for example I think they recently just last week didn't they do a thing where they Mm. They said sorry for some sort of loot boxy type thing they'd done and gave a load of kids uh, some free V-Bucks or something. And in fact, in Fortnite, I don't know, you get loot boxes. You buy stuff and there's an argument about whether, you know, God, my son, I let him spend some of his pocket money. And I think some of the prices are outrageous. But, you know, what is essentially a new bloody hat that doesn't even exist in the real world. But at least when he's buying that hat, he knows what he's buying. He's not gambling which is what mm, loot yeah. boxes are. So I think other companies will follow Epic's lead and and I don't think we'll see that mechanic certainly getting any bigger. Well, and I really liked what you said as well about if your kids are playing it within earshot, you can kind of get a sense of what's happening and yeah. you know you can sort of intervene on some of these mechanics more easily yeah. than if it's sort of being done in secret, you know, or in the bedroom and things like that. And look, my son's nine. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's people with 14-year-olds going, oh, really? Oh, it's that yeah, easy. Just you it? wait. Oh, sure, <laughs> just you wait. I can't speak to that. It's tough. But yeah, every, like I said, everyone's different. You just, you just got to work it out as you go along, right? Like with everything with parenting. Yeah, figure it out and do the best that you can with what's in yeah. front of you. <laughs> and I know you've spoken about this before, but me and my friend were talking about this the other week and we literally don't get it. What is it? about kids wanting to watch other people play games on YouTube. Like, what is that about? Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I still don't really understand that, but I've been, I have tried to talk to people about that. If you don't have a lot of money, which children generally don't, just getting to see other people play games that you haven't got access to is cool, right? It's really fun. So, and I thought, gosh, yes, when I was little, if I could have, I used to read these games magazines cover to cover about these games that I would never be able to afford or play, but I was still interested in them. And so it's just that, isn't it? Except they can see them. But also they, of course they watch games, they do play themselves, but it's a bit like a sport. Do you know what I mean? That's what Keza said to me anyway. She, you know, I, 
I can play to I mean I can't play tennis but even if I could play if tennis, I could <laughs> I would still watch Venus Williams play tennis because mm. she's much better at tennis I mean I'm sure I could have her in a game of Mario Kart but that's not the point uh <laughs> something I want to see that's what you should do in 2021 yeah, Venus or Serena, <laughs> both of you. I can take you both on at once. Absolutely no problem. I'll even be Donkey Kong. There you are. I still, I still beat you. <laughs> Challenge laid down. Um, so yeah, but also, and it's often their peers, isn't it? Or it's a slightly older guy or girl who's just a bit cooler. And I think it's just that, isn't it? It's just watching kids do. It's like going down the skate park at the South Bank and watching these kids do this amazing skateboarding stuff. They love, they love that. You know it's it's aspirational maybe yeah okay that's a really helpful way of putting it because yeah me and my friend were talking we were like we don't get it <laughs> why yeah. is it fun but put like that actually it does make a lot more sense um, i don't get why my husband watched football genuinely I, i'm like i don't understand what this is doing for you but apparently upwards of 200 or more people quite like football so there you are <laughs> <laughs> i also feel like you might have just devised a new tv show where it's like famous sports people play famous esports people on some weird like esports kind of battlegrounds or something. This sounds like an amazing idea. I that's it. I think and and each per, each contestant gets to choose the thing. So Venus Williams gets obviously she probably choose tennis for me, but she probably beat me. Do you know what she beat me at football? She beat me. I'm sure she beat me at any sport she wanted, and then I would beat her at, at Mario Kart definitely. <laughs> unless it turns out she's a really amazing secret mario kart player yeah that's also possible and actually (laughs) oh god i bet because she's so clever that she's got that sort of brain i bet she could pick it up first time and absolutely (laughs) just nail it just absolutely smash everybody completely yeah no you're right cancel it cancel the cancel the show (laughs) cancel the show yeah cancel the meetings cancel that plane ticket to hollywood we're not doing it we're not doing it um (laughs) but yeah there's that but the other the thing i really didn't understand until about a month ago was twitch are you, do you I don't I know quite a bit about it from some of my students I wouldn't say <laughs> beyond yeah. that I kind of look at them puzzled and go uh-huh yeah well I really did not understand that so if, for anyone who doesn't know Twitch is it's a bit like YouTube right in that it's people playing games on the internet but it's live so it's not a pre-recorded video you go on and you play games and there's a little chat box so the person playing the game can talk uh, and then the people in the chat box can type messages and ask questions and stuff like that. And they can cheer you on and they can give you tips if you get stuck in the game. And yeah, a month ago. And I give you money as well. <laughs> money is a bit like exotic dancing. Um, <laughs> if you do well, they can give you like 10p, they can give you a little cheer, or they can pay like a five or a month to subscribe, which means they get to watch you play without adverts and stuff like that. And yeah, a month ago, I was, I was like, this is an ins- what, insane. I don't understand it. And then I started doing it and I absolutely love it. And the big thing I didn't understand was that it is um, certainly the way I use Twitch um, is about community. So every Friday night, I have a thing called Vikings of Vodka. I go in at nine o'clock. I play Assassin's Creed Valhalla and it's an overrating. It's a grown up game. So it's only for grown ups. That's why it's at nine o'clock. And um, these people come along, these actual grown-ups, some, a couple of whom I know in real life, some of whom I've never met. There's a bloke in Arkansas who turns up and we just, we just get drunk and play video. And not all of them drink, but we have a drinking game. Some of them just drink water. I make it very clear alcohol is not compulsory and I don't encourage anyone to like injure themselves. <laughs> but I absolutely love it. I look forward to it all week and they cheer me on and they help me out and they laugh at me because I'm quite rubbish at the game. And we have jokes and we have 
uh, we have a, there's a lovely girl called Emily who's my mod and she designs little raspberry emoticons for me and things and it's this little fun thing that is I, in a time when I can't go on tour with my mate and I can't go to the pub with my friends I have this new bunch of people that I get to hang out with in this quite weird futuristic way and I absolutely love it nice oh you might see me there on friday night oh come come <laughs> down it's a right laugh it's a really good my dad pops in sometimes that's quite fun he doesn't he doesn't understand it. he doesn't know what's going on um but yeah so i said twitch is is slightly more difficult thing to navigate because you've got the live chat element um it is a bit more difficult to police and and so i think yeah the, the official age for twitch is 13 i think younger than that before you say yes to your child getting involved with it, definitely investigate it for yourself, research it and look into it. Cause it's, it's a, it's a little bit wild. It's a little bit of a wild, wild west situation. Come <laughs> on your one on a Friday night. Oh, don't come on mine. But I do, I do a family friendly stream at three o'clock on a Saturday as well, where me and my son, Charlie, we, he's not on camera, but we play a game together and I'm on camera and we oh, play nice. a co-op game and, and, and people can like, yeah, families come along and watch that and we have a chat and that's nice. Um, the, the hardest bit about that is just having to not swear for an hour. <laughs> it's very tough, <laughs> but we do it. We, we, we've yet to do a swear, so it's all right. Awesome. Um, and now kind of just moving on or moving back actually, it's something that sort of you mentioned earlier. So as a woman in the games industry and having been in the games industry for kind of before it was maybe standard. So you said earlier, you were the only woman writer. Um, it's sort of quite well documented that the games industry has got some issues or some challenges to address around inclusion and diversity. So what are your thoughts on that? Oh, the, the industry definitely has, has challenges still um, to overcome, obviously not just with gender, but in terms of race, there's a real problem with the representation of black people and people of color in games and within the industry itself. And funnily enough, I'm doing an Instagram live about this on Thursday uh, <laughs> with a lady called Chella, who's a, a games journalist. Um, and yeah, she talks a lot about this issue. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to learning more about that and, and getting her perspective on it. From my perspective, it's really tricky and I've got two white sons and I am very concerned about them understanding their privilege and understanding that still in video games that they're not you know women and and people of color aren't represented enough and just because they see themselves reflected so much that isn't a reflection of the real world as it is so I mean you know I mean they love it when I talk about feminism they absolutely love it you can imagine their eyes definitely don't glaze over um But so that's my responsibility as a parent. But I think it absolutely is up to the games industry as well to change things. And there's the obvious one about the way people are represented in games and having a a diversity of characters. But there is um, the industry has huge problems. And part of that is to do with the nature of the way games are made. And there's this thing called crunch time in games, which is, you know, where when it gets to the deadline for completing the game, people are often expected to work 12, 20 hour days just to get it done, get it done and spend all their time at the office, at the studio doing this stuff. And for a lot of women still, a lot of women are still the primary carers, especially if they're single mums. And that's not an option or that's very difficult and that can really affect their career. So I think it has to be up to these companies, not just to do the obvious things like pay people properly and promote people properly, but to make it easy, easier for people to do their jobs and, and to have expectations that are realistic and understand the limitations that can be on different genders. Mm. Um, 
and I have talked as well about how, again, that, that shouldn't just come from the top. That's not about just having a really great company policy that you've all workshopped for two days and you can all feel like great humanitarians. That's great. That's about perhaps saying to your partner, if you're a man in a relationship with a woman, perhaps saying to your partner, no, I'm going to pick up the kids from school today. We've got this crisis situation and not automatically expecting the woman to do that and being a man and visibly going to your boss and saying, I need time off work because I have to do this child related thing. Mm. which is something women have had to do and have to do all the time and if, you, if you're a bloke and you're not a sexist and you want to be an ally and you can't be the guy who gives the woman the job or pays the salary you can be the guy who visibly makes time for their children and asks for flexible working and you know so the woman doesn't feel like if she's I, you know if she's the only woman in the office and she's always saying oh sorry I'm late or that you know you can help help out your partner and help out that lady <laughs> by also being that person you know Mm, that's amazing so actually it's the responsibility is on the company but it's also for people at home and you know at every level wherever you are in a company or whatever you do that well, actually personal, everyone can yeah. do something the personal is the political as the saying goes and I think that that goes for the workplace as well mm. and do you see changes in the industry compared to sort of when you started out um yes definitely but I'm, I'm always wary of saying that because I'm always wary, wary, wary that'll be interpreted as, oh, everything's fine now. And of course it's not, of course it isn't fine. And there's so much to do. And again, I'm a white person and I can't speak to the challenges that black people and people of color are, are facing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of speaking out on whether things have got better in that regard. Um, in terms of gender, yes, there are definitely, there are more women in the industry, but then, you know, I haven't worked in an office for years. I don't know what that culture is like really. Um, I am heartened. Is that, can, can one be heartened? Does that make grammatical sense? Can you be heartened? I I'm pleased. So. I'm, I'm heartened and or pleased <laughs> to see that um, women writing and talking about games, which obviously is my particular area of interest, is, is much more normal now. Is, mm. is, I'm so pleased, especially on YouTube. And again, on Twitch, I watch loads of women on, chit, on Twitch. I follow a channel called Black Girl Gamers, um, which is these... these awesome chicks just playing video games all the time and they're all smart and confident and funny and great and I love that that's visible now because when I was growing up it wasn't like that no. so that I'm hoping with things like that with more women doing it and supporting each other um it will just become normal yeah but there's definitely work to to be done mm. and it isn't just down to individuals either of course it has to come I'm not in the corporations off the off the hook either it has to come from the top because they've they've got the money you know well and I guess that's it isn't it as well as it become as as alternative representation becomes um more visible it will hopefully promote more and more people calling for change or speaking out or you know just having the confidence to to do it anyway but yeah I think there's it's also you can't avoid the fact that in the industry there are certain places that have a lot of money and a lot of influence and that there is a responsibility there as well um, but I think I hope it has changed in terms of when I started out as a journalist it was pretty standard that uh, we go and see you know we go to a press event you go and see the video game you go and have a nice dinner and then you go to a strip club that was just pretty standard or you know you'd go to a party at E3 the big game show in LA and you, there'd just be a couple of girls in bikinis doing not stripping, but, you know, exotic dancing on the poles and stuff like that. And it was just standard. And you just sort of and I accepted it and tolerated it because I was young and I was surrounded by all these blokes. And 
I wasn't as confident. I didn't want to make a fuss and you don't want to be the chick everyone rolls their eyes at. But I hope that those things aren't happening as much these days. I think mm-hmm. we would hear more about it if they were. And that's not to say people aren't going to strip clubs in secret. Uh, but <laughs> hopefully the culture has changed a bit. Yeah. And I think there's the, in my experience, some of the more covert stuff maybe still needs addressing. But I, I began my career in the music industry. So that was similarly awful I've heard I've heard that actually I've heard that's really really awful (laughs) yeah so you know (laughs) it's almost like the patriarchy is some sort of pervasive you know it's almost like it gets everywhere isn't it oh how bizarre yeah how how on earth did that happen how strange (laughs) what is the common denominator in these industries I just don't know oh so on that note what do you see as the future of games or future of games in the games industry well, I get asked about that a lot. And one of the things I'm sort of most excited about, about games is that I don't know. I've got no idea because that's the thing about games. It's with films and music and telly, we sort of like in terms of just the machinery, we sort of know what those are. Right. So the leap from black and white to colour movies was obviously enormous, but there hasn't really been a massive leap like Jaws 3D. Do you know what I mean? Whatever. Like that's kind of what films are and are going to be for the foreseeable future. And music, obviously, you have amazing developments and radical shifts in the sort of the stuff people are making, but the means of making it and and stuff don't radically change very often. Whereas games, games are still exponentially growing as a medium and uh, in terms of what you can do with them. And look at a video game from 10 years ago and it's hilarious, like it's laughable, you know. I love the original Tomb Raider games on the PlayStation. You look at them now, you're like, how did I ever even play? Like, this is awful. So... It's exciting to me that we've come so far already and who knows where we've got to go. And, you know, if you, again, if you just said to me 20 years ago, oh, the next thing, big thing in games is going to be like this machine and it's going to have like a little magic stick and you're going to wave it around to play tennis. I'd be like, yeah, right. Okay. And then if you went, and it's going to be called the Wii. I mean, I'd laugh at you for about 10 minutes. Like, what are you talking about? Do you know what I mean? But that was a revolutionary thing in games. Now, all right, that didn't last. You know, everybody's Wii is now gathering dust. But it's that sort of thing that makes me excited about games. And what I would love is, um, I'd love to be in the game. And like, VR isn't quite there yet. And I don't Mm -hmm. know how we're going to get there. Um, But again, if I did, I'd be a millionaire. Do you know what I mean? I'd be the Elon Musk of video (laughs) games. I don't know how to do it. But I would like, I I had a dream once, actually years ago, this makes me sound insane. But I had a dream where I was in a game and it was a bit like Sonic the Hedgehog. It was a bit like Jack and Daxter. So I was this sort of platform character and I could run and jump and do this. and And I woke up wishing so hard that that was true. It's like, you know, when you have a sex dream about Jeff Goldblum, it was like that, like, you're like, oh, I wish I was still asleep. So that was still happening. So that's my dream. And I just want someone who can actually make video games and who's clever to, to make that reality. Awesome. I'm uh, stuck on the Jeff Goldblum bit because I really oh. want to say, surely not now. Surely like... Mate, are you serious? No. Have you not seen him in Thor Ragnarok? No. Oh, he's a silver-haired fox. Oh, really? Okay. That's not oh, yeah. what I'm doing this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm I'm doing after this podcast. Now it's on my brain. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was, was it in Jurassic Park? It was him in Jurassic Park. With the open shirt, oiled and sweating, oiled and sweating. That's very sexy. There's me talking about diversity and feminism and how important. Then I'm just talking about fancying a topless man. I mean, there's your diversity for you. (laughs) 
yes, someone making that game sounds amazing. Um, yeah, can you make it, please? Yeah, if <laughs> I go back to the Elon Musk <laughs> comment, if Elon Musk wants to give us a million pounds, then yeah, by all means, I'll have a go. Yeah, um, yeah, and then we'll beat Serena Williams at it, and it'll be it'll be the best day of my life. Yeah, sounds awesome. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> and what what is your favourite game at the moment that you're playing? So at the moment, I I'm living a double life, Sarah. I have a double life. In the day, uh, I play Animal Crossing which is very calming. This, If you haven't played it, you're this little person on a little island and it's your island. Mine's called Umbongo Island because I'm a child of the 80s. And you just have this little house, you have neighbours and you collect apples and oranges and you sell things and you pay off your mortgage and it's just all delightful. Um, so I play that in the day. And then when the kids are in bed, I play Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which is an incredibly violent, murdery game. Um, and I've chosen the female Viking on this Viking. She's called Eivor and uh, Eivor goes around. Uh, I won't do the accent. She goes around um, in, in England at the moment, Shropshire and all this. Guildford actually, I was in Guildford last week. You get to go to Guildford. You decimate um, it. <laughs> yeah, you abs- and you just hack everyone to death. Uh, and it's brilliant. It's a really beautiful game, but also really, really bloody. Uh, so I just, I, I find them both in different ways fantastic stress relievers for Mm. you know for letting out tension and aggression or just wanting to be calm and and soothed i i prescribe it i mean you know let's if i was a doctor of games i'd be prescribing both of these video games to people who are struggling with lockdown you just want to feel alternately release and and calm because of course animal crossing's just been shown by a research study to be very good for well-being and calm is it yeah some researchers at oxford found that it was very good for well-being for calm ah, yeah. well there you go i'm a bloody scientist now who knew there we go. but i and love this there's no murder in it you know it's just all very relaxing but sometimes you want a bit of murder but i love the yin yang of what you described it's like a perfect kind of yin yang of nice coming animal crossing and then some you know dark side of humanity to balance it out perfectly yeah exactly it's ideal <laughs> So on that, what would be your top tips for parents around gaming, but also possibly based on that to survive lockdown? What games should parents be playing to survive lockdown? Oh, well, those two. I mean, I, I do love them to bits. Um, I I think um, if you are a gamer already, like if you if you play games, then you kind of know what you like. Right. So, you know, you probably don't need me to tell you. Um, but if you're not a gamer and you think it's something you might want to get into, then yeah definitely I would I would actually genuinely start start with Animal Crossing as as a sort of fun soothing thing I would go on YouTube and and have a look at the games that are available there um if you a lot of people I know are lapsed gamers so they played a lot of Crash Bandicoot or Mario Kart or Street Fighter back in the day and they haven't played a game for 20 years and you will find that there are really nice looking modern remake remakes of those with flashy graphics. There's a new Crash Bandicoot trilogy. They've just done the Tony Hawk games they've redone. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So if you want back. <laughs> so like really nice, swishy modern graphics, but that great like, gameplay that made those games. So they're excellent if you want that sort of nostalgia, but to actually feel like it's not 1994 and the controls actually work. Like <laughs> that's quite good. Um, another, um, I would really recommend as a fantastic resource, there is a website called taminggaming.com. We had Andy on. Uh, oh, you've had Andy on. Yeah. Oh, there you go. 
we had it last week, but actually it will be coming out this week. So yes, and I bought his book, which I'm and I'm t- I'm oh, his database. Yeah. Literally everybody I meet, I'm like, you should go look on this. You should go look on this. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And his database is great because it's got. I mean, I'm sure he told you himself, but it's got all the obvious things like you can search by. Okay, I want a PS4 game for ages seven and up, and I've got a budget of ten quid or whatever. You can search for that. But what I like is it has this little experiences box. So it has all these options for I want a game that's calming or educational or about cooperation or about, I don't know, jelly beans. I don't know what he's done. He's a very clever man. But um, so you can, yeah, you can really find a game that suits you and your family and also what you what you need from a game at that moment. And I think it's brilliant. Mm, amazing. And generally top tips for parents around how to game well within the family how to game well within the family um do you mean like how to manage kids use or yeah um I think for me the key has been having an ongoing conversation with my son so understanding and respecting that sometimes he really doesn't want to play video games with me uh he wants to play them with his mates and that's all right in the same way that sometimes I'm happy to like in well in the olden times I'd be happy to take him to the pub and sometimes actually I just want to go to the pub with my mates on my own and talk about what we want to talk about and I'm trying to respect those boundaries and and have an ongoing conversation about the boundaries and explaining that there have to be boundaries he responds quite well when I say things like look I can't let you have another hour on Fortnite because you've had two and I would be a bad mum if I let you play this game all day and there's he doesn't he still doesn't like it but there's a bit of that that resonates with him and that's one of the things Philippa Perry said to me she said always make it about yourself so don't saying to someone you've had too much screen you shouldn't be doing this this is it's going to make your eyes fall out it's going to make you this this and this nobody likes to be told that nobody likes to be told you should you must blah 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 we don't like that as adults but if you say I don't like it when or I'm worried or I read that this is bad for you and I'm concerned about that it's easier for them to cope with that and to sort of respond to that because they're they're not immediately on the defensive and and yeah but again I'm not it's not easy it's and it's ongoing and there are days when I definitely feel like I've let them had too much screen and there are days when one of us has lost our temper and I feel rubbish about it but you just have to you just have to move on and negotiate it and I think the benefits of gaming do outweigh the negatives I really do and it's worth it's worth putting the effort in mm. well amazing that's some really fantastic practical really practical tips so thank you for that and it's just been an absolute pleasure talking to you today is there anything else um you think our listeners should know um well I, no I, I hope I haven't been too patronizing everything I say is only based on my experience and my family and my, I can't you know I'm just telling you how it is for me. Maybe that's helpful. Maybe it's not. And I always love hearing from other people about how they manage stuff and and the games they play together and all of that, really. But yes, I guess just to plug myself, uh, I do have, I do have at Ellie Gibson Games, I have this Instagram where I do little reviews of homeschool games and family games and stuff. And I'm always happy to take questions on there. And I've done videos about things like which Switch to buy and stuff. So, so that's there if you want to, if you want to come and say hello. Or just come, just come and watch me drink 
vodka and play Vikings at nine o'clock on Fridays. That'll be, that'll be the one I'm coming to. Wicked. <laughs> oh, I'd love to see you there. It'd be a good laugh. You can bring whatever drink you like. Cup of tea, Horlicks, neat meths. Everyone's <laughs> welcome. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for your time. It's been fantastic. And yeah, just been great. Great talking to you. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our products and how to get involved in this podcast, please visit playwellforlife.com.